In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Welcome to this, the third in the series of Crossing Over the Bridge. This program discusses with eminent guests ancient civilization prophecies and new science paradigms. Distinguished guests today, Carl Johan Kellerman, John Perkins, Brian O'Leary, and Nassim Haramein. Carl Johan Kellerman was born in Stockholm, Sweden, in 1950, which in the sacred calendar corresponds to the fifth jaguar. Curiously, this is also the exact midpoint of the month dedicated to the Roman goddess Maya. Stockholm is fairly remote from the jungles of Guatemala, but these were some signs that maybe he had something of importance to accomplish. He first became interested in the Maya and their calendar during a trip to Mexico and Guatemala in 1979 and fell in love with the people and also had a feeling that this was his spiritual home on earth. It seemed that the purpose of his life was linked to these people and their calendar and that he had become fascinated by. This was long before the Mayan calendar had become a matter of widespread interest and as he read in Michael Coe's book about the Maya, that their calendar would come to an end in the year 2011, and therefore sparked a deep wonder of imagination. John Perkins has lived four lives as an economic hitman, as the CEO of a successful alternative energy company, who was rewarded for not disclosing his economic hitman past and as an expert on indigenous cultures and shamanism, a teacher and writer who used this expertise to promote ecology and sustainability while continuing to honor his vow of silence about his life as an economic hitman, and finally as a writer who in telling the real-life story about his extraordinary dealings as an economic hitman has exposed the world of international intrigue and corruption that is turning the American Republic into a global empire despised by increasing numbers of people around the planet. Our third guest today, Dr. Brian O'Leary, is a scientist philosopher with 50 years of experience in academic research, teaching and government service in frontier science and energy policy. He was a NASA scientist astronaut during the Apollo program the first to be selected for a planned Mars mission and participated in unmanned planetary missions as an Ivy League professor. Over the past four decades, Dr. O'Leary has been an international author, speaker, peace activist, founder of non-profits, and advisor to progressive U.S. Congress members and presidential candidates. In his latest book, The Energy Solution Revolution, he describes the enormous potential of breakthrough clean energy technologies, their suppression and logical necessity for our survival. Zero-point vacuum energy, cold fusion and advanced hydrogen and water chemistry could, as he stated recently, provide us all an abundant future for all of humanity. And our final guest today, Nassim Haramein, has spent most of his life researching the fundamental geometry of hyperspace, studying a variety of fields from theoretical physics, cosmology, quantum mechanics, biology and chemistry, to anthropology and ancient civilizations. Combining this knowledge with a keen observation of the behavior of nature, he's discovered a specific geometric array that he's found to be fundamental to creation, and the foundation for his unified field theory that subsequently emerged. In the past 20 years, Nassim Haramein has directed research teams of physicists, 
electrical engineers, mathematicians, and other scientists. He's founded a non-profit organization, the Resonance Project Foundation, where, as the director of research, he continues exploring unification principles and their implications in our world today. The foundation is actively developing a research park on the island of Hawaii, where science, sustainability, and green technology come together. Carl Johan Kalaman, John Perkins, Brian O'Leary, and Nassim Haramain, join me in this groundbreaking program, the third in the series of Crossing Over the Bridge. Welcome to In Discussion today. It is a great pleasure to bring together Carl Johan Kalaman, Nassim Haramain, John Perkins, and Brian O'Leary. Gentlemen, welcome to you today. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. Good afternoon. It's great to be together again. Gentlemen, let me start the program today again by offering my thanks. It is a huge privilege to have all of you on the program as we accelerate and build upon these programs. I would like to start, if I may, again, John, with yourself. John, bringing together all the forecasts and the prophecies from all of these areas, including the many prophecies of the indigenous cultures around the world, do you see that it's evident now that we are accelerating in terms of our developing consciousness across the world? I, I, I definitely see that we are, and, and as we accelerate uh, in that consciousness, there's, there's also a resistance that goes on from those who want to stay in the status quo. Uh, their consciousness may be accelerating too, uh, but they're also trying to hold us into the status quo. You know, it's interesting, one of the things that the Mayan elders and shamans tell us is that those the Mayan pyramids are built on many different levels. Uh, like most pyramids, uh, the Mayans may have three or they may have nine or sometimes it's, it's other numbers, but there's these like different stages. And, of course, the one at the bottom is the largest, the one at the very top is the smallest. And they say that even back a thousand years or more ago when these pyramids were built, uh, they realized that the bottom pyramid represented the ancient times when, when change happened very slowly. And each successive stage, ch change happens more rapidly. And today we're at the top level where everything is happening very, very quickly. It's kind of this idea of exponential growth in so many things, including consciousness. And I really think we're there. But the question is, how do we use that increasing consciousness? And there is this attempt on the part of the status quo to keep it down. That's one of the reasons that in the United States and so many other countries, there's such a tremendous emphasis put on sports, on celebrities, uh, on, on so many diversions that keep us uh, from really looking at where we are today and where we want to go and what we really want to do. I was sitting in, in, a, in a bar the other day when one of these big uh, bowl games, and in the United States is going through this bowl period of football, and, and was struck by the millions of people and dollars and, and money and energy that's spent on these games. And it's, it's just think if that money and, and that, that energy uh, were put into working toward creating a sustainable, just, and peaceful world, the kind that's been prophesized by many of the indigenous prophecies, think of where we'd be going with that. But there's this conscious attempt to divert that energy from those sorts of things into these mundane and, in fact, inane, to some degree, uh, pastimes that we have. With that said, may I turn to you, Carl Kalaman, talking about those nine levels of the Mayan calendar. Clearly, we have reached that ninth level. You attribute much of this surge and acceleration and in information to the Internet. What can we expect at the ninth level? There is obviously a, a suppression or a conditioning of people around the world to remain in this what I call uh, do consume and certainly following on from the way that John Perkins defines it as a predatory greed area. What is it that will shift that and what is it that the Mayans said about this in the ninth level? Well, I think I'm, as I understand it, the ninth level hasn't actually started yet. It starts March 9th of this year. And that level then is the one that developed with the highest frequency 
where the energy shifts were taking place with a, a highest frequency simply. So it's still a little bit of an enigma, what will the ninth level bring? The eighth level brought this whole cyber civilization that we are making use of right now. I have my views on this, of course, but I'd like to hear from maybe the other participants here. You know, the word consciousness has become such a tremendous buzzword, a, a positive word in, in almost uh, everyone who uses it. But I'm not so sure that we all mean the same thing with that. I would just be happy to hear some input from others. I just have a feeling that when I use it, I don't necessarily mean what other people mean. And when I hear other people use it, they mean something else. Could we have some round around that particular topic? I think that's a, a wonderful point, an incredible program yesterday with Sheldon Nidal. We talked about this very issue because there is a misunderstanding about the exact meaning of consciousness that we need to clarify. Nassim Haramein, what would your response be to that? Yes, that actually is a very, very good point to make. I remember some 15 years ago in a physics conference that was a more open physics conference with a lot of different scientists from around the world, physicists, mathematicians, and chemists, and so on. And the, the topic of the conference had to do with defining the relationship of the hard science like physics and biology and so on with consciousness and how the two related and and the conference started by saying well we have to define what we mean by consciousness and that took almost the whole conference because there was so many different meanings and and so little agreement about what we mean by consciousness i think at the end of the day the tendency for instance in that conference was to identify and saying we're only going to discuss what we call human consciousness and and I had a add a objection to that because uh, in my understanding when you look at the evolution of man when you look at the evolution of biology on our planet for instance where do you separate you know the beginning of consciousness and the end of consciousness does it start at the homo sapien uh, you know did the was the neanderthal conscious uh, and so on I, I mean literally you can go all the way back to well there was minerals and there was water and there was lightning and then there was life and so was consciousness involved there and so on and i think that what we need at this point is a deeper, more fundamental understanding of the source of consciousness. And I think one of the ingredients, one of the hints that we could use to define consciousness is the concept that consciousness involves self-awareness. It involves feedback. It involves a system that learns about itself, that learns about its environment that learns about itself. And if you look at nature, if you look at the universe as a whole, it seems to do that naturally. So my tendency is to believe, and certainly the theories I've written, is to approach the concept of consciousness as a fundamental force of creation, a fundamental force in nature that has to do with a feedback in the structure of space-time itself Space and time is learning about itself, and as it learns about itself, it develops more and more complex systems that are self-observant and that increase in knowledge and increase in complexity and feeds information back to the whole, and the whole feeds information back to the individual and so on in a continuous feedback of information. Well, let me ask Brian O'Leary this question, but add an appendum to that. What is the difference between the consciousness of finding ourselves as individuals and then taking the next step forward, as is becoming very apparent in the world, of elevating that to a community consciousness? Yes, uh, my uh, original approach uh, to, to the, the question of consciousness happened as a, as a physicist at Princeton. I was in the physics department there in the late 70s, and I started to have some unusual experiences that I couldn't uh, explain in terms of 
traditional Western science where cause and effect could be uh, based on one of the four known forces of the universe, which is electromagnetics, weak atomic forces, uh, strong nuclear binding forces, and gravity. Then, of course, looking at some of the quantum uh, physics measurements and some of the works of Amit Goswami and Frijak Capra and others, it, it became very clear to me that consciousness was the only, whatever it, it would be defined, was the only way to describe the anomalies and the observer effect and the non-locality of quantum mechanics. And so that then led me to give a dualistic definition of consciousness, which which is really, uh, consciousness is not dualistic, it's that which unites us and not divides us. The definition I have applied to it is, is that it's intention to create something new in the universe, and to the degree that the universe resonates with that intention is the degree to which consciousness can be effective. The problem now is, of course, that materialistic physics, which is still being taught at the university, even quantum physics, is totally inadequate to describe the um, amazing resonances that can occur scientifically and, and proven in the laboratory. We, we heard Bill Tiller in the previous program talk about how human intention can literally change the material world, and it can, and it has no explanation in traditional Western science. So this then leads to the, the, the broader, more metaphysical ideas that uh, are being entertained on this program. Before I come back to you, Carl Kellerman, may I just ask you, John Perkins, this consciousness, it's a question of finding this consciousness before we implode either as a civilization or as Mother Earth, putting it into simplistic terms to avoid this catastrophic point that we may arrive at. How can we elevate this consciousness and infuse it into a quantum world, into a materialistic world, into a corporate world, to gain their appreciation of the true meaning of consciousness and the cosmos? Well, I think that's a, that's a terribly important question, David, and, and I think we really need to zero in on using language that a lot of people across the planet can understand. I, I sometimes get a little frustrated with the sort of philosophical questioning ar around all of this, and, and it, I mean, I think all of that has a very important place, but we, at this point in our history, we, we need to re reach a, a dialogue uh, that can be commonly understood by people and work towards some end. And uh, for me, consciousness, I think, can be defined by a little story. When I first lived in the Amazon, and I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the late 1960s with the Schwa, who were deep, deep in the Amazon, hunters and gatherers, and they taught me how to walk. That was the first thing. And they said, you know, when you walk, don't look at your feet. We notice that you gringos look at your feet. Don't look at your feet. They're boring. Look all around you. You've got to see everything that's around you. Your peripheral vision will take care of your feet. Study everything that's around you. That's the only way you won't get lost. Uh, when you'll be able to find your way back a week from now, if you really see everything that's around you. To me, that's, that's consciousness. That's the kind of consciousness we really need to cultivate, where we truly look all around us. I think we've come to a society that watches its feet all the time. We worry about what the stock market's doing today. We worry about what the employment figures are today. We worry about what our favorite uh, basketball team is doing today or whatever. And we need to, I think for us, consciousness needs to be a look out there. What, how do we create a sustainable, just, and peaceful world for our children and grandchildren? How do we listen to the messages of nature, uh, the shrinking uh, glaciers and the rising oceans? How do we really become aware of these things? Yes, it's about self-awareness, and it's about awareness of all that's around us. It's about walking without watching our feet by seeing the greater whole around us. And I think in the corporate world, the corporations have come to a point where they really watch their feet. The, the daily stock reports, uh, the quarterly reports, no, not looking at the long term, looking at this very narrow view of maximizing profits regardless of the social and environmental costs, something uh, that really came into play in the 1970s, took off in 1980 when Reagan and Thatcher and others of their ilk uh, bought into Milton Friedman's idea of the Chicago School of Economics that the only responsibility of business is to maximize profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. That's an extremely narrow 
a destructive view, one that's lacking the kind of consciousness that I'm talking about. A greater consciousness from a business standpoint was, would say, business is here to serve the public interest. Yes, we have to make a decent rate of return for investors. That's the only way we're going to get investors. But it only needs to be a decent rate of return. Beyond that, we must be good members of the community. We must be good citizens. We must really serve our employees, take care of them, give them health care intentions, take care of our customers, take care of our suppliers, and really take care of the, 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 the communities where that we live and work. The, the, the consciousness from a business standpoint, in my opinion, would involve saying, let business make profit, but only within the context of creating a socially just and, and environmentally sustainable or totally sustainable and a peaceful world. And so let's look at this consciousness thing. I think it's great to have the philosophical discussions, but let's also look at some very practical aspects of what that means today in this world that's in such dire trouble right now and that needs people to be fully conscious of where that trouble is coming from and how do we change it? How do we move into something that my three-year-old grandson is going to want to inherit? Carl Kalaman, how do those responses resonate to you? Well, thank you. I, I can certainly relate to them in a significant way. Uh, Nassim's definition as it, it being um, related to self-awareness is very meaningful. Now, when I heard John talking here, I felt that what he was talking about, uh, consciousness in, in the business world or, or the need for change consciousness, he's actually talking about something that I would call unity consciousness a certain expression of consciousness and, and not the phenomenon of consciousness itself. I'd just like to contribute my own view here also of what consciousness is. Uh, and I'm coming then from my background as partly as a scientist, but also partly as a, a student of the Maya. And um, the fundamental uh, background to the Mayan calendar system, which is can't uh, help uh, uh, talking about it when you're talking about our present situation in the world, is that according to ancient Mayan uh, lore, the calendar system was based on the tree of life. And that's fundamental. No discussion about the Mayan calendar should really be done without having that background in the, Maya, in the tree of life. So what is the tree of life? And what is its relationship to the consciousness we're talking about? Well, the tree of life is something I believe exists on several different levels in the universe. You have it in the organizations on the atomic level. You have it, each one of us has a tree of life, which is like the binal cord, you might say. And then there is a polar axis in, in, in the Earth, and then there is a galactic axis. And most importantly, and most fascinating is the fact that about seven years ago, the the Wilkinson anisotropy probe found that the entire universe that goes an axis throughout the entire universe. And this, I believe, is the tree of life on its highest level. Then I believe that are, there are resonances between all of these different uh, levels of, of the tree of life. And this, I think, is quite similar in certain respects to Nassim's model of, of black holes on different levels, except that here we're focusing on the the actual axis that is as carrying the developing these, creating the universe basically in a way where all the different levels are um, in resonance. So to me, consciousness is actually always a relationship. It's something that can never ex exist just by itself. If you think about it and you go to the Latin uh, meaning of consciousness, it really could be translated to mean the state of knowing with. And then the question is, knowing with what? And that, I would say, that's the tree of life. The tree of life is not a symbol. It's not a myth or something like that. It's the very heart of the reality that is creating the evolution of the universe. And that's the very basis from all the consciousness shifts in the, that the Mayan calendar Describe. So I feel I can relate to several of the definitions that were made previously here by the other, others. But uh, I also think it's, uh, I think we should be aware that we may be talking, uh, sometimes we're certainly talking about different things, things that we each would use in, in a different language to keep a clarity of, about things there. 
Let me turn therefore to Nassim Haramein. Carl Kalaman talks about this axis. You talk about the vacuum, uh, you talk about the universe, you talk about a acceleration towards a singularity. Can you put that into context in terms of the way that Carl Kalaman talks about the progression of the Mayan calendar? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very compatible. I was really glad to hear Carl talk about this these axes that are found at different scales at different levels and even at the universal level with the anisotropic behavior of the background radiation and these axes axes of spin they're spin axes just like the axe of spin of a of a top you can find it like Carl was mentioning like the axe of rotation of the earth the axe of rotation of our solar system or you could think of it as subatomic spin axes as well at the universal level and spin then and this fundamental polarization of the structure because when you have spin you have a north and a south a positive and negative and so on you have a spin counterspin you have this feedback between what you could think of as the electromagnetic field the radiative side like the centrifugal expansion of the spin and then you have the gravitational collapse towards the center the two feet back onto each other and this is some of the models I've been elaborating on in the physics papers I write this idea that there's a feedback between the electromagnetic field the radiative side and the contractive side due to the fundamental spin of spacetime produce this feedback loop that eventually is learning about itself it's it's evolving it's it's transforming it's getting more and more complex more and more energetic and so on uh, and it's accelerating and i think what john was talking about is a level of awareness of this field becoming aware so like consciousness is always there but are we aware of its dynamic and, and I think that's what we're entering into we're entering into a time where we are starting to become aware that there's a fundamental field of energy that produces everything we see as reality including the self-awareness of reality itself and that we're all part of this field, this interconnectivity that in quantum theory is actually been noticed. It, it's called a vacuum fluctuation or zero-point energy that is everywhere at all levels, at all scales, and that connects us all. And there's fundamental spin components to it, and it has fundamental scale relationships and axes relationship to each other. And so I think that is very compatible to what Carl was describing. Brian O'Leary, before I return back to John Perkins, this inner realization of this reality that Nassim talks about, and I'm trying to put this into context for John, that reality, a reality that we see today, a reality in the way that we're destroying the world, the reality in the predatory greed, in the corporate mansion that uh, accelerates and, and does not give up on a very decadent way of business, uh, social interaction, the way that we live. How can we turn that so that reality is not the reality that people see? And if they see another reality, it may be that reality that wakes them up to the fact that they cannot sustain the lifestyle that they're in now. Well, that's, of course, a very important question, David, is uh, uh, how do we go about uh, transforming people? Uh, we, we do workshops here at Montesueños, our place in Ecuador, and many other people do them too. We're doing one this coming week, and it's called Consciousness, Energy, and the Matrix of Personal Reality. For the whole purpose, I'm teaming up with a uh, hypnotherapist and world-class life coach and facilitator. Our intention is for people to reach deeply inside and ask, do we want to continue dealing with all this falderol that uh, John refers to, that these distractions that are uh, just really kind of killing us? And one of the things that I've been looking at is that people that are otherwise very politically progressive and environmentally inclined and and scientifically oriented the very people you think that would be at the cutting edge of this 
most of these people are themselves unaware of the possibilities that lie ahead. And the area, of course, that I've been involved in the most is to advocate research and development on zero-point energy and some of the other breakthrough clean energy sources. But the same also applies to consciousness and some of uh, Bill Tiller's experiments and experiments where human intention can literally purify water, for example, and heal, heal ourselves, the water within us and the water outside of us. We can literally heal the planet. These are the very cornerstones of the experimental science and theoretical science of the 21st century. So the work that Nassim is doing and that Bill is doing and many of the rest of us in these fields is extremely important, but so far they've been violently suppressed. And it's the lack of awareness of most people. It's almost totally cut off from the mainstream media. That's one of the reasons why I'm so glad to be involved in these discussions with you all because then that, that opens up the awareness to what's possible, which is way, way beyond what's now currently accepted in the, in the mainstream culture. John Perkins, John, may I return back to you? We have had an emphasis for probably three or four hundred years since the Industrial Revolution took over from the feudal system, where many scientists, uh, the, the Teslas of this world, were suppressed and they're still being suppressed. John, looking at society now, and clearly from my angle, I see a last desperate attempt, the decadence of our corporate machine now to attempt to condition people into staying where they are. How is it that by looking inside, looking at ourselves individually and then corporately, we can almost get people to the point where they're a thousand miles above the planet. They can look down rather than being inside the trench and actually see how they are individually and corporately destroying the world. Well, yeah, we know that it was a monumental moment when our astronauts walked on the moon. Edgar Mitchell, who's, who's been a good friend for many years and, and was one of those astronauts and formed the Institute of Nautic Sciences, often talked about that, as, as many of them did. And there's that photograph that's, that we're all familiar with now of showing our planet. It was a whole new perspective, this, this ability to look at ourselves. As we talked earlier in this program about consciousness being self-awareness, and that, that was a big step toward planetary self-awareness and uh, how fragile, in fact, our planet is. The recognition that, in fact, we live on a very small spaceship uh, but unlike the spaceships that uh, our astronauts built, this one doesn't have any shuttles. We can't get off it at this point, <laughs> or in the foreseeable future, no, probably do we want to. We need to take care of it. And I think that's, that's a huge element of this consciousness that we're all talking about, is the consciousness that we can't get off, and we need to take care of this place. It's our home. We really need to take care of it, and we need to recognize that for the first time in human history, every human being on this planet is very highly integrated and interrelated. In fact, all species are. It's no longer enough to take care of one's own country, to look out for, the, for that interest, because countries have become somewhat irrelevant. We're at a period of time that it's uh, similar to when the city-states became nations, except today nations are, are losing their importance. The big corporations are running this place. So in the past, we might have looked at the globe, uh, the, the Earth as this globe with roughly 200 countries, of which a few had a lot of power, the United States, the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom at times, various other countries. But today, we might look at the same globe with roughly 200 countries, and the geopolitics is ruled by these, what we might envision as huge clouds drifting around this planet. These are the big corporations. They call the shots. Nobody gets elected to any prominent position anywhere in the world, basically, today uh, without the support of corporate monies and corporate politics. So we're in this new era, and it's an era that calls for a new sense of awareness on our part, and awareness in terms of building institutions and our education system and our own self awareness and consciousness. And again, it goes back to, the, to me to this idea that these institutions that are currently basically calling the shots from a geopolitical standpoint, the corporations, need to be responsive to human needs. They need to be responsive to planetary needs. They need to be about uh, serving uh, the public, serving 
a greater cause than just that of making profits. And I think this is a terribly, terribly important element of what all of us are saying here today. I think, in a way, the prophecies, whether you're talking about the Mayan prophecy or the prophecy of the eagle and the condor that comes out of the Amazon and the Andes, or you're talking about the prophecy of the 14th Dalai Lama being the last, or, or Shambhala prophecies, all of them across the planet have really forecast this period of time, and they've all basically said that this is a period of time with the potential for transformation, for bringing the heart and mind together, the male and the female, if you want to say that, the industrial and the intuitive uh, societies and mentalities of the world together and creating a, a new form of human being, evolving into a new consciousness as, as humans, uh, and that's the consciousness that will allow us to move forward and create a sustainable, just, and peaceful world. But we all need to actively participate in that and make it happen. It isn't going to happen on its own. The prophecies all say that we are in a period of time for the potential, with the potential for that. They don't say it will happen. We have to be the ones to make it happen. Turning back to you, Carl Kellerman. We're now at the final 20 minutes of the program, and now we're looking at solutions. The, the ninth level of the universe... This is where we talk about unity consciousness in the Mayan calendar. Is this a unity consciousness that comes about by infusing and providing ideas to that corporate establishment that John refers to, or are there other influences that will come about that are prophesied by the Mayan calendar? Well, we will have to start with ourselves. The shift to, to unity consciousness is seeing the, the unity in all things, not just as an intellectual uh, perception, uh, but really transcending uh, the dualist frameworks that we've been living with for most of these lower levels of the, of the cosmic pyramid or the nine-storied pyramid. I believe that the ninth wave is sort of an invitation from the cosmos to have us go through this transformation to unity consciousness. And I believe there are tools that you might say the, the, the leading people in consciousness evolution can use in order to have bring that change about in themselves. But the, the real issue, that, and I think many here have already uh, alluded to it, is, is the surprising inertia that what we're talking about is absolutely a reality. This changing, accelerating shift in consciousness that is happening. But it seems like it, it is still held by, uh, by far a very small minority of, of people. And uh, it's just an amazing discrepancy to the large group that at least apparently is not very affected by these incoming waves of changes uh, consciousness. So I think the task for the time ahead is really some tools development, and I think they're already there, to have this transformation fully in ourselves, not to look at uh, our relationships, not to look at the world, not to look at ourselves, through a dualist perception, but really seeing the unity and coming from that unity in all that we do. And if that happens, you know, there, there is many uh, social structures that will fall because they're simply not consistent with a unity consciousness. You can't have a hierarchical dominance in a system where you see the unity of all things, to take one thing. You can't have the kind of uh, separation in uh, economic conditions that you see all over the world if, if you're truly immersed and, and guided by a unity consciousness. So I think the first thing is for, for ourselves to go fully into this wave, find the tools to transform ourselves fully, and then just have the hope that as many others will, will be affected by the wave to find a way of moving forward together and that the change would take place that way. So I think some people have alluded to also here, I think there are large groups of people that will never be affected and will sort of resist this to the end. Can you define in layman's terms what those tools could be? 
There are meditation techniques, for instance, that do not employ what you might say a, a middle man. This is important, I think, because spirituality, as it's developed in the past 10 or 20, 30 years, it's sort of re-coming back, you might say, after a long term of, of purely materialist worldview. But it's coming back, but it still relies so much on, on some kind of a middle man, whether it's a guru, a channeler, a mushroom, or, or anything like that, something that is less than the total immersion in the space of God, if you like. So there are meditations that, that can put us in terms, in, in a, in directly into that space to find guidance. I, I also feel the dikshas are, are valuable to bring about uh, an experience of, of unity, and, and I hope other people find other tools. I think they are, are there. They just have to be applied and, and we have to take another step in, in really cutting out the middle man in everything that we do. John, is that middle man that Carl Kalaman talks about, how can we eliminate that middle man? Uh, and, and who is that middle man in our society today? Yeah, uh, cool question, you know. I, I'm not sure that we can entirely eliminate the middleman or want to. The middleman can be a mentor, a teacher, but we have to recognize uh, that at some point we need to move beyond that. Uh, we all need teachers at, as we move along, but what we don't need is teachers that then become controllers. That's too often what happens with the middleman, and, and it happens in teachers, too. We see that. I've had a lot of teachers that have, that, have, that have then wanted to control me rather than allowing me to expand into my own uh, potential. So I think we have to be, be very careful about that. I think we also have to be aware that while meditation and prayer and, and these things are extremely important, so are day-to-day -day actions, and not just the individual actions, but the collective actions. When I was with the Dalai Lama in, in his home in Dharamsala a few years ago, I, I was with a group I was leading of about 30 people who he had invited to his home, and one of the things that came up was somebody asked him, there was, uh, there was a, a writer at the time who was advocating that everybody take five minutes, I think it was, off at noon on such and such a day to pray for peace. And, and somebody asked the Dalai Lama what he thought of that, and he said, well, praying for peace is good. Meditation is good. I do it every day, he said, for many hours every day. It's a very good thing, usually. But he said the problem can be if you pray for peace for five minutes or meditate on it for five hours or whatever, and you walk away and say, there, I've done my job. That's all I need to do. Then it's bad. He says you have to follow up your meditation and your, your prayer with actions, right actions. And he said, you know, that he, you know, he pointed out that, in fact, he's a very good example of that. He doesn't just sit and meditate. He travels around the world uh, advocating uh, justice and, and, and many other things. And so I think that's an important part of this process is to recognize that in order for change to come, we have to dream it. We have to meditate on it. We have to pray for it, whatever words you want to use. We have to give it, you know, brain energy, but we also then have to give it physical energy and to understand what actions we each as individuals need to take and what actions we need to take collectively as part of the human community, as part of our own local communities and the entire human and, in fact, the entire sentient being community, where, where, do, where do we take these actions? And, and I think today it's extremely important uh, that we recognize this and not allow the middleman to be the one to take the actions, and that's often been the case, and we've seen that in, in recent elections. In the United States, you know, people voted for Obama and sort of sat back and said, okay, he's going to make everything right. Well, we, we know that's not going to happen. We, the people, have to do it. We have to meditate on it. We have to dream on it, and then we have to give energy to that dream, to those meditations, to those prayers, to our, our actions. Now, Sim Haramein, thoughts on that, on this middleman? Is it that the middleman has to be a higher teacher? has to be a teacher that we possibly saw four or five thousand years ago that is of a much higher intelligence that would be indicative of the consciousness that we're moving towards? Uh, I think that, uh, you know, like John was saying, we all need guidance here and there 
along our way to move forward. And that guidance can come in many, many different ways. It, in some people, it may be by entering a religious covenant, or in some others, it will be by following a guru, or, or it might be for others, uh, having wonderful discussions where they're with their neighbors on, on the porch at night. Whatever the case may be, I think that if the teachings that are coming to you are true teachings, then these teachings tell you that you have a direct link to the fundamental forces of the universe. You have a direct link to the life force of creation that nobody can stand between you and those forces that you can reach them and and those people along the way might be people that help point at where that is and, and if they're correct they'll most likely be pointing to the inside of you because from within you is that possibility from within you is that link I absolutely agree with John when you found that link when you connect with that force when you whatever technique you use then you have to take that and take right actions from it start acting outside of yourself from that place from that place of unity from that place of connection and I just want to add that really when we're looking at all of that what is needed at this point in history all the knowledge is present all the technical know-how is present all the spiritual knowledge is present the philosophies are present everything is present the only thing that's missing on the round table to really move this world to the next level is the financial and political will to make this happen what we literally need for people to actually put their hand in their pocket and hand out the goods necessary to support this type of research I mean there's so much knowledge there's so much amazing technology that can come our way that can make huge differences and so it's really crucial that people realize that actually all that's missing is the fuel to make this move forward and it's very minimal compared to the expenditures that you see in the mainstream for research in various fields so a little bit of input a little bit of fuel people realizing their connection with the whole and then acting up on it is gonna make a huge difference and that's really the part that's missing two thousand years ago somebody very bright said it's easier to put an camel through the eye of a needle than to bring the rich man to heaven and I think this is what he was pointing at. Brian O'Leary, your thoughts on the final solution scenarios here having traveled through this program? Well I, I think Asim is totally correct. We have the technology, we have some of us anyway the intention to create a peaceful, just and sustainable world. It's not going to take that many resources to do the necessary research and development, we need to come together. One of the exciting results of experiments in consciousness is that when two or more gather with the combined and positive intention, uh, there actually is a non-linearity in actual results in the material world. Uh, this was done by some of the experiments by Bob John and Brenda Dunn at Princeton and other people. We really, it's not going to take a, a, a majority of it. We can combine our intentions, we can do the research and development, and we can create a much, much better world as long as our intention is pure and positive and full of compassion for all of humanity and all of nature. John Perkins, your final solution to this particular program? I, th I think it's just to say that, you know, I have tremendous hope that we have moved into this era, that we are entering what you might call this ninth age or, or however you want to define it, that we are realizing the prophecies of the coming together, and that each and every one of us must push very hard though, to make that happen. We must dream on it, we must pray on it, meditate on it, and we have to take action. And I think something that's very important here, too, is to, is to look at it as uh, why we came here, why you and I and all of us 
happened to choose this time in history uh, to come into this particular body, this particular life. And uh, it's, it's a very exciting time, challenging and exciting, and I think we need to have a lot of fun doing it. And frankly, I'm very glad to be alive at this amazing time and have this opportunity. And I'm also very grateful to be on the show with all these other incredible human beings and, and to be, for us all to be working toward a goal of creating a sustainable, just, and peaceful world. And finally, in our last minute, uh, back to Carl Kalaman. Having joined us on this uh, first of what I'm sure will be many programs uh, traveling this with you, what do you see as the unifying consciousness taking us forward now? I see uh, the, the help coming in, in terms of the wa of a wave generated by the cosmos, and uh, which will start then in, in March of this year. This is a wave that is fully consistent with all the evolutionary waves that have created the, the universe uh, up until now. But even if there is a wave, even if the cosmos will give the wind on its back, we will, and I think we all agree that, we will all need to take our action. Nothing happens except through the human beings, and the cosmos cannot be acting without us. But nonetheless, I, I do see this is on its way, uh, a new way, uh, uh, forwarding a new perception among the human beings uh, of, of, of life in general that may turn out to be tremendously healthy for our whole existence or, or the planet. Gentlemen, Carl Johan Kalaman, Nassim Haramein, John Perkins, Brian O'Leary, it has been a huge privilege today. I thank you all so very much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, David. Great as usual. And to our listeners today, I do hope that you have enjoyed this program. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org or crossingoverthebridge.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one -on -one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Com.